Let's turn to Job 19, 25 through 27. Job 19, 25 through 27. And as you're turning there, imagine with me how the disciples of Jesus must have felt day three after the crucifixion. I mean, they watched the ship go down. It's over. They are shell-shocked, three years of their lives, gone. They're depressed. They're defeated. They're just ready to go back to Galilee, go fish again, get back to their old lives. And you know how happy it is to read the account of the resurrection. Everything changes because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And and after the, the darkness of the cross and the earthquake and the sun that is hidden, Easter is blindingly bright. I mean, Easter is just an explosion of hope and a joy that can be taken hold of literally because because He has risen. He is alive and, and we know Him. Easter is the erasing of all ultimate uncertainty for us if we've put our trust in Him. Easter reminds us that whatever's going on, whatever you've brought in here, it's finally going to be okay because our Redeemer lives. And He not only lives, folks, He reigns. And Easter means we are not alone, that that He is with us and He loves us. He is our Emmanuel. Easter is joy and life and peace given to us by the Prince of Peace. But you know, Easter for the disciples was this incredible moment Today we call it an aha moment. You know, it's like everything was going in one direction and oh, aha, where they finally understood all that Jesus had predicted. You know, he'd been saying this was going to happen. Now they could see it right there, 3D, touch him, technicolor, real person, Jesus raised from the dead. There's this aha moment of who he really is. And you know, Easter could be an aha moment for some folks here today that maybe for the first time really get it. The true identity of Jesus of Nazareth. Who He is, what He did, why it matters. But for many people here today, Jesus' resurrection is not so much an aha moment of discovery But it's an oh yeah moment because we bring our lives into this place and we say, oh yeah, he's risen. Things aren't really that hopeless. Oh yeah, I am loved. I am accepted. Oh yeah, the one who holds the future holds my life and I can put my trust and I can have confidence in him. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. This morning... I want to take it back several centuries before the resurrection. I want to take it back and get a, get a view of the resurrection from a, from a very different and interesting angle from the Old Testament. 
it's a view of Easter from a man who has gone through more pain, struggle, and difficulty than you and I will ever go through in our lives. This is a man whose life is just completely blown out. And yet this is a man in the Old Testament who trusted God in the midst of what was happening. His name was Job. And one day the sun rose just like any other day in his life. And a messenger came and said, your whole family is dead. And another messenger came and said, your business is over. All your livestock are dead. And all your buildings have fallen in. Everything was gone for Job. All at once. And Job, understandably, is beside himself. And Job gets to this place. In this book that is named after him. He gets to this place where, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He's trying to to figure things out like we do. And, And there's just simply not an equal and opposite answer for every loss that he has sustained coming from God. There's just not. And 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 Job comes to this place where he realizes that he must trust God in spite of the fact that he will not have all the answers now. But he will trust God who loves him and who has the answers. And where does Job look for help? Where does ultimate depression look for ultimate hope? i tell you where Job looks. He looks to the resurrection. That's why I'm preaching from Job 19. He looks to the resurrection, the same place where our hope, is found today. Job shows us that the resurrection and and seeing the reality of it changes who we are and changes the trajectory of our lives with God and our lives, period. I want to bring this home in the midst of this very well-known phrase of Job, I know my Redeemer lives. With just two words. I want to bring it home to you with two words. And they are, Redeemer lives. And we will understand Easter if we can put together those two words. Redeemer lives. So let me read Job 19, 25 through 27, our chosen text. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last... He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, would you show us the reality of the resurrection. Lord, would you awaken things in our lives, some that have never been awakened before, some that have been dormant, and you, by your grace, can bring the brightness, reality, and life of Easter. Would you impart something of life 
to us today through the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Redeemer lives. I want to begin with Redeemer. What is a Redeemer? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, a Redeemer is, is defined at its most basic definition as a person who pays the price. The Redeemer pays the price. He's the, he's the one who pays the price. Um, the Redeemer in the Old Testament pays the price for two things. This, this is like what everybody understood a Redeemer to be in the Old Testament. First of all, people would be in slavery. And in those days, folks would get into financial trouble and they would not have the ability to repay their debts. And so the only thing they had to sell was themselves. And you literally could sell a, uh, an amount of time or even an indefinite amount of time for a price of your services toward a master that you sold yourself to. And, and that would just have to be, by law, carried out, you see. Unless a redeemer came and paid the price, the rest of the money that was needed for you to not owe that person anything and you go free. So what does a re- redeemer do? A redeemer pays the price to set us free. Secondly, was that in, in the book of Ruth really shows this, was this, this whole thing that was happening within families and extended families and, and the Redeemer or the Goel is the, the Hebrew word for the Redeemer. Okay, uh, a, a woman, a married woman in Israel would have, would lose her husband. And now the family is going to be destitute and bad things are going to happen to that family. Unless, you guessed it, a redeemer pays the price. The redeemer in this case would be a male relative of the deceased's widow. And he literally would step forward, pay the price, take her into his family give her, share everything with her, and take care of her and her children for the rest of his life. Isn't that beautiful? So, I want you to think about maybe an old, a New Testament person that fits this description. That a redeemer means paying the price to set us free from slavery to bring us into his family. That's Jesus. He is the redeemer who pays the price. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these types and shadows of of what a Redeemer was in the Old Testament. Jesus is the super Redeemer, if you will. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the one who was promised to come and set us free. And the price, you know what the price was. The price was none other than His life for ours. The price was his life laid down as a sacrifice for our sin before a holy God. You know, Jesus, the Redeemer, is also called, he has several names in the Bible, but the, one of the other names is the, the Lamb of God. And I want you to think about the Old Testament and all those lambs that were sacrificed and, and how the blood was sprinkled upon the altar to pay the price to cover over the sins of the people. All the blood of these lambs only pictured the Lamb of God, the, the one sent from God who would, with his own blood, sacrifice himself to pay the price 
so that we could go free before a holy God. But but the Redeemer doesn't just pay the price. It's not just so we can be free and, hey, I'll see you later. It's so that we can be free and belong to God. So that we can become a part of his family. That's the other part of redemption. Redemption is through a person, but redemption is a relationship, right? Redemption is about love. It is, the, it is love that drove Jesus to pay the price. And the result of that is not only that we are declared not guilty and set free, but the result is we are adopted into God's family and accepted and loved forever. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross... It meant that it was fully paid. Total payment had been made by the Redeemer. When you and I put our trust for our salvation with a holy God in what Jesus has done, we are set free. You know, all of us have struggled with our selfishness. I mean, it's just the human, it's just the human condition. You know, we're, we're selfish. I think I probably think about myself so many times a day, it scares me. You know, and um, and we just can't. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We just can't make it. And, and God in his love sent the one to pay for all of our sins, to just wipe them out before a holy God so they're, they're not there anymore before his face. You, do you see? You're forgiven, totally cleansed. I'm talking about past and present and future you are forgiven by what jesus does our redeemer pays the price and it is wiped out on the cross this this is an amazing thing and and you become if you've put your trust not in your own attempts to be good not in your own game that we play with god in some religious way to to determine what we think should make him happy none of that matters because god is independent of us and holy No, when we put our trust in what Jesus has done for us, we are forgiven and we are embraced. Our Redeemer paid the price to set us free, to bring us into his family. So that's the first word, Redeemer. The second word is, I know my Redeemer lives. Basically, a dead Redeemer cannot do anything for us. A dead redeemer cannot do anything for us. The benefits of the cross and what Christ did on the cross simply are not applied by a dead redeemer. Why? It's very simple because he's not alive to be able to apply them to us. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. That's the payment that sets us free. Jesus defeated death in the resurrection to be able to give us life and apply the forgiveness and the grace that he earned on the cross to us. Do you see that? The resurrection is important. In fact, Paul talked about the fact that everything hinges on the resurrection. The the early church were like resurrection-ocentric people because they understood that a living Christ and a reigning Christ can apply his grace can connect with us, can be our Savior, can love us forever, and we can fulfill His will through our lives. This this is a big thing, whether Jesus is alive and can apply the grace of God to our hearts, or whether He is dead, rotting in the grave. 
Maybe we should put it this way. The resurrection makes all the benefits that Christ earned now for us. I mean now I'm forgiven. Now I know him in this very moment. Because he lives and has applied his grace to my heart. Job says very personally, I know. I know my Redeemer lives. And what do we say? Rough equivalent of that today is, He is risen. You don't have to do it. (laughs) He is risen indeed. Jesus, you see, stands outside of the empty tomb with his arms open for all who will come to him. Easter, Christianity, God's grace is not about a set of sayings to make us more spiritually wise or that we might become spiritual masters. Easter is not about a list of Rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts that make us okay with God. Easter is about God who came to earth because we couldn't rise to Him to pay the price as our Redeemer who rose and lives and gives it all to us. You don't get this thing, this grace of God, a little at a time. You get it all. It is finished. It's given to you, all of it, through a risen Christ. Easter is about a raised Redeemer who loves you. I know my Redeemer lives. You know, I love the Nicole C. Mullen song, I Know My Redeemer Lives. And I, and I really like it because it's kind of like Job 19. It's based on Job 19. But it's kind of like Job 19 in this sense that it gets real personal. And you know, toward the end of that song, you know, she starts repeating the chorus. I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And then she gets into the real personal. I know that I know that I know that I know my Redeemer lives. And it gets even better than that. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the descant, she says, I talked with him this morning. You see, that's the, that's the nowness, the now of the love of God in Christ given to us. By the risen Christ alone, a dead Redeemer can't give it. I talked to him this morning. He lives. He's mine because he made me his. There's a a famous golfer on the PGA Tour. He's retired now. His name is Paul Azinger. In 1993, he had 10 tournament championships to his credit. And he had just won the the PGA Championship. And, And the season was over. And his shoulder was hurting and he went to the doctor and he was shocked because the doctor told him he had lymphoma cancer in his shoulder. And he recorded his feelings about his experience. He wrote a really great book if you want to read that book. But he he said, a genuine feeling of fear came over me. Duh. This is like 
Job was just beside himself when all this happened. You know, that's okay. He said, Azinger, back to Azinger, I could die of this cancer. And then he said, everything I've accomplished in golf became meaningless to me. All I wanted to do was live. And as he was going through this, he, he remembered something that a Bible study leader, a guy named Larry Moody, who taught like chapels, Bible studies on the PGA Tour, had said to him after he got cancer, he, he said, and I quote, I'm quoting Larry Moody, Zinger, that was his nickname, Zinger, we are not in the land of the living Going to the land of the dying. That's not reality. We are not in the land of the living. Going to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying. Trying to get to the land of the living. That Now that is right. That is right. I know my Redeemer lives. The land of the living has penetrated the land of the dying. Everybody's dying. You get that, right? The land of the living forever has penetrated the land of the dying. Life has come to replace death. Because Jesus lives, so can I. Romans 6.4 Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. 2 Timothy 2.11 This is a trustworthy saying. If we have died with Him on the cross, we will also live with Him in the resurrection. My Redeemer the one who pays the price to set me free, to bring me in his family, lives and can give all that he has won for me, to me, that I might be his forever. But finally, some of y'all are saying finally, finally, Job sees something marvelous for someone to see in the Old Testament. Job sees that the Redeemer's resurrection means that one day, long after his death, Job's death, because of the Redeemer's resurrection, he too will have a new body. He too will be raised. This is what we call the hope of the resurrection. And I, I explained a few weeks ago, we're, we're, we're looking at first Thessalonians and the return of Christ and about to do second Thessalonians. I was saying Christianity almost alone deals with what happens to the body when we die. So we're not just spirits flitting around in heaven that, that we are fully redeemed by Jesus and our bodies and our souls, our bodies and our spirits. All of this has meaning. There's not a shred of your life that is not totally meaningful that was given by God. Your life matters. Your body matters, your soul matters, your spirit matters, your mind matters. All of these things matter. And Job says this, and, and, and it says in the text that he kind of gets carried away with wonder when he says it. This is Job 19, verse 26. And after my skin has been destroyed. 
says, after my death, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, whom my eyes, my eyes will behold and not another. And then he says, my heart faints or yearns within me. He's just carried away with this. Now, could I say that there is a lot to this passage? There is a lot of discussion of the understanding of the resurrection in the Old Testament. There's a lot of discussion about Job and his discussion with his three friends that this is in the context of. And there's, there's all of this discussion. But this morning, I want to put it to you simply. This passage is about a man going through more suffering than anybody here will ever be asked to endure. You can write that down. You can count on it. A man suffering who realized that his only hope was in the Redeemer and the resurrection of the Redeemer and his resurrection. This was an Old Testament man. It's amazing it. who by faith kind of grasp what we might call the rough outline. You get this? I mean, they, they don't, he doesn't know all the details about Jesus. He, he grasps by faith the rough outline of a redeemer paying the price and, and, and the resurrection, just this rough outline and what that would mean. And he says on the basis of faith and just that rough outline, I know my redeemer lives. You and I this morning, We are way on the other side of the resurrection of the Redeemer. We have Jesus. We see it clearly. We have Jesus crucified. We have Jesus raised, risen from the dead in documented history. Where he was raised and he was seen by his disciples And he was seen by 500 people at one time. And there are people named in the Gospels, these strange names. One of them is Rufus. That basically the writer says, and if you don't believe, go ask Rufus. He saw Jesus too. He's one of those 500 people. And there were 500 people going around saying, look, I mean, look, I'm a plumber. You know, I'm I'm a banker, whatever. I'm not a preacher, but I saw him. We read in the Old Testament long before Easter and, and, and saw the, how meaningful even the rough outlines of Redeemer lives can be. But I'd like to now telescope into the distant future, into the book of Revelation. And I'd like to, to read from that vantage point, Revelation 1, 13 through 18, and in the midst... Of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held 
seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining at full strength. Oh my, oh my. He's not only risen, he's reigning. And when I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet like a dead man, of course. When I saw him, I I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said to me, listen to these words, fear not, don't be afraid. For I am the first and the last. I am am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold in my hand the keys to death and hell. Wow! Redeemer pays the price. Redeemer lives, can apply What He has earned that we could never do for ourselves can apply this grace and love to our lives where it is now because Jesus lives, Redeemer lives and reigns. And therefore, there is no ultimate uncertainty. We know where it's all going. This is beyond wonderful. And maybe we should answer like Job, my heart faints within me. My heart yearns, my heart swoons, my heart yearns within me. You know, a lot of people have a lot of reasons that they report that they don't want to bow the knee to Jesus. That they don't want to become a Christian. By putting their faith in what Jesus has done. And, and you know what? It, it, we need, those things are meaningful. And some of them have to do with, you, you've heard this, and look, these are, these are hard things. I knew a Christian one time and he was a hypocrite. I went to a church one time and they did this. And I'm not sure I want, I mean, look, those are valid arguments. Do you know something? Once people kind of get through in a relationship with someone who actually knows and loves Jesus, with the Word of God, once somebody gets through some of the the, the personal and gets down to the, the propositional, whether something is true or not, very often, and I've heard people say this, you know, I'm not there yet, but I got to tell you, I would I would give anything if that were true. I would give anything if I could know that God loves me so much that he would actually pay the price, die for me. I'd give anything to know that that was true that God loves me so much that he would actually give me life. 
the life that's truly life, that he would be with me and my Emmanuel, that he would be with me and that he would always reign and I could always count on him when I can't count on other people. I could count on him and I could live by faith and I could live with imperfect people who also love him. And it could be meaning and it could be light and it could be beauty and it could be peace of a sort in a raging fallen world. I'd give anything if if that could be true because I desperately want to be loved. It is true. It is true. It is Easter. And he is standing outside of the tomb is Easter. And the reality of the resurrection changes everything. So, I'm going to get you to say one more thing as we close. Okay, I'll say the sentence, and it's, I know my Redeemer lives. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, you get to say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Okay, I'm going to say it, then you say it, if, you, if that's what you believe, all right? I know that my Redeemer lives. Let's pray. Lord, to be able to say that is a gift that comes to us. We are starved for love. We are just emaciated in need of grace and forgiveness and all the the bright wonder of your redemption, your payment for us. If you've never... Put your trust in Christ and, and you kind of get it that you can't do this on your own before a holy God. And that's why he came to you and you believe that it's true and you want Christ. Pray with me, Lord, I, I see it. I get it. And I want to turn from everything that I've called religion and I want to turn from everything that I've called Christianity and my own efforts. And I want to put my trust, Jesus, on what you've done for me and it is finished And thank you that even now I'm forgiven forever. So wonderful. Even now you you have come into my life and you will live in my life forever. Lord, I pray that, that you would keep my eyes focused on you and that you would help me live the life that is truly life by your grace. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you and it's not so much an aha moment for us. It's an oh yeah moment. And Lord, would you take us back to the cool, clear headwaters of grace, of a Redeemer who lives and gives all to us. And you have given all, Jesus. And, and sometimes we've turned away. Sometimes we have tried to find our lives in other places with other people and other notions and things. But they don't give life. They give temporary satisfaction, but not life. Oh, Lord, would you hear us say, I remember, I know my Redeemer lives. And would you bring my heart back to the beauty of his forgiveness and his life? And would you help me take a step with my brothers and sisters into a brighter day of love and loving. And Lord, 
Would you do that in your church? So that people wouldn't just see our hypocrisy, but they would see indeed through our love that he is risen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.